Well, today we are wrapping up this message series. We've been looking at money and how to wisely use money for the last um, six weeks now. And it would be easy to completely avoid this topic. Just not do money messages for good reason, because people take offense when you talk about this topic. And so it'd be very easy, but it's tough to avoid it because the Bible has so much to say about this topic. In fact, the Bible has so much to say. And in fact, if, if I were to keep pace with Jesus on this topic, then I'd have to address stewardship, the larger principle we're looking at of stewardship, almost every other week because of what he had to say. He dealt tremendous amount with stewardship. Money is a part of stewardship. Money is a part of something much larger, just managing the resources God has provided. He had an awful lot to say that ties both directly to money or indirectly to the way we use money. And so, and what I've discovered through working with other people is that anytime anybody decides to install God as the chief financial officer of their life, just saying, God, I'm going to do money, I'm going to use the resources that you provided your way, not my way. And I'm going to, I'm going to install you as the owner and I'll manage in the way that you've instructed. Anytime someone decides to make that decision, other things in their life begin to change. For some people, some people have experienced some major breakthroughs on the job. Some people have experienced like a thawing out of a marriage problem. Like they, be, they begin to deal with things financially in God's way. And then somehow this marriage that has just been in crisis and maybe frozen, it begins to thaw out. Some things actually can begin to happen there. Some people have seen their kids change. Some people in our church have experienced an end to long-term conflict even in relationships as they surrender this area to God. And so many times the shift happens when people decide to shift the priority of the way they use God's money that he's entrusted to us. And I can't help but wonder if that's why Jesus had so much to say about it. It's attached to just so many different areas of our life that he wanted to make sure we understood how important this area is. He didn't want us to leave it out. And as much as I want to believe that maybe a, a, a don't ask and don't tell policy might be a smart and sensitive move for me as a pastor, so that I don't have to deal with looks and, you know, frowns and, ugh. If I were to avoid this topic as your pastor, what I'm really doing is avoiding a topic that affects almost every area of life. And so we, we have a responsibility. So I think on occasion, one of the most caring things that pastors can do is to teach clearly on the topic of stewardship. And so that's what we're setting out to do this morning. Um, over the last five weeks, we've looked at three things you can do with your money. We've talked about how you can give it, which is the first priority. You can save it, second priority. And then with what's left over, you can spend it. And we've looked very carefully at spending. We've talked about contentment, debt, extra, like how to use extra and then we talked about savings, and we've looked at why you save and how much to save and, or how to save and all of that. Um, but giving is the only one of these that's not about you. Giving is not about you. Once it leaves your hand, it goes to, accomplishing, it goes to accomplish some things much, much greater than just providing for you and your family. When you release it, God uses it to accomplish things beyond you. And it's ironic that the one thing that you can do with your money that has nothing to do with you is actually the thing that can most change us. Like this area is the one that has the most power to really change other areas of our life if we'll learn how to wisely steward the resources God has provided. And I want to say something to you if you're a guest. If you're a guest and you have, or you're newer to our church and you've not yet come to the point where you decided to make Jesus the Lord of your life, you've not become a Christian yet, you're in the process of really thinking through what that means. And many people 
attend our church who are, who are in that boat, and you're here and you're investigating. If, if that's you, then you need to understand up front, this is going to be one of those messages that really make Christians squirm. This is one of those times where you get to watch us squirm. For those of us who've decided to follow Christ, if you've not made that decision, you can kind of relax right now and just be like, oh, this is, this, he said it's not for me. Relax. But as you look around, you might look around and you're like, oh, these people are uncomfortable right now. This is a serious crowd. Well, it's because this is the topic that makes us squirm the most. And so just know that it's not directed at you. But if you've decided to follow Christ, you said, I'm going to take you serious, God. I want to do life your way. Then this is likely to make you squirm. And that's okay. We need to really understand what God has to say about this. So what we're going to do is we're going to end this series by looking at what we're going to call the generosity ladder. We have a ladder up here. And there's three rungs to the generosity ladder, even though there's five on this thing, okay? But the idea with the ladder is not just about the ladder of, you know, giving more money, but understanding how God works with us at different levels of climbing the ladder. And so what God is trying to do is he's trying to stretch us to where we will step up our generosity in life to where over time he can accomplish more through us. We, there's certain things we just can't reach on our own. And so I want to talk a little bit about the idea of how this is like a ladder. So the level number one, the first step on the ladder is the planning level. You can follow along. Also, real quick, there's the message series summary that we included in the bulletin. You'll see it in there. This sums up the whole series we've looked at. Well, we put this, Bruce put this together so that everybody has like a takeaway that you can put on your fridge and, and reference. This is a really important reference tool as far as just checking up on where I'm at in overall stewardship. So I wanted to make sure you knew that. But the first level is the planning level. God desires that our giving not be some emotional, haphazard action. He doesn't want it to be an emotional thing for us. Last weekend, members of our growth groups participated in painting two mobile homes as a part of a mission project that we did together. And there's different mission projects that our church has done this um, semester of groups, but we did some painting, and there's like 40 people, and it was really fun. It was amazing to see 40 people in four hours painted completely two mobile homes that were in jeopardy of you know, being kicked out because there's a code at mobile home parks that they have to be painted and kept up, and so these families didn't have the resources to do it, so we pitched in to help. It was a really fun thing to participate in. Amazing to see in four hours the transformation on these houses. I mean, it really was an amazing thing to see. And we might have finished faster if we had more what? For those of you that were there. Ladders. Yeah, ladders. Everyone's walking around. You guys got an extra ladder? You got an extra ladder? No. You You could really limit it because everybody was able to do the things that we could naturally reach. And some of us guys, we got up on a fence and we got scolded for that. I led the charge in that and then eventually got down. But we needed, you know, naturally at five foot seven, there's some things I can naturally reach. But I'm pretty limited, you know, and there's some guys that might have been, you know, six one, six two and got some taller. There was a taller guy there. But naturally, there's just some things we can naturally reach. But, you know, we needed a ladder in order to reach those really high spots. And so giving and generosity in some ways really applies to this. We all have some natural generosity in us. There's just some things that we naturally can do on our own. We sometimes give or we're we're moved to give because we feel like it. We can just stretch our natural generosity on occasion. And the kind of impact, impact that God wants us to make, what it does is it actually requires a generosity further than we can reach on our own. Further than we can even stretch. 
So he wants us to actually step up in generosity. He wants us to take some bold steps up. Moving from emotional giving, which is a real natural stretch for us. All of us can do that. He wants us to move from emotional giving to giving by choice. And this is where it's going to start getting very personal. Our emotions kind of limit our generosity. Just like my height, your height, it limits our reach. We can stretch, but we'll never give beyond that level of emotion unless we step up. God's generosity is not a choice. I'm sorry, it is a choice. You know, God's generosity is a choice. He chose not because it felt great or he chose to send the greatest gift, the gift of his son. He, he's given us his, this gift of Jesus Christ, offering us a life of forgiveness, freedom. Romans 5.8 says about this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The idea there is that in, it was the time, you know, the death of Jesus was timed not to a season where we had it all together, but it was time to a season where we were helpless, hopeless. We really needed God to act in our favor, and he did. It was a choice. And God's greatest gift of Jesus flew in the face of emotion. It just, it's, it wasn't an emotional gift, was it? It was principled. So the first step on this generosity ladder occurs when we make two very or two non-emotional decisions about our giving. The first one is this. It's thoughtful giving. Thoughtful giving. Until we plan our giving, meaning we put some sort of thought into it, we start thinking about, you know, we're just sort of stretching ourselves naturally. But if we reach the level of planning, then we actually step up our generosity. We're able to accomplish some things in life on a very different level. We have to actually take this step of beginning to plan our giving. Otherwise, we're just sort of jumping up to things. But look at this first, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. We looked at this so really quickly to review it. It says, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Reluctance or being under compulsion, that describes emotional states that we find ourselves in. We're under reluctance. Like a situation comes up, a tragedy strikes, someone needs some financial help. The church says, hey, we're going to do this and we need help. Those are situations that, some, that communicates an opportunity and we think, oh, man. Okay, I guess I'll give. That's kind of what is described as reluctance. Reluctance is what we hear about something and we, the offering's being passed. Oh, Okay, I'll give. We're reluctant to give. And God's saying in this, that's not the kind of giving I want. He's saying, I don't want that. Don't give reluctantly. Then this word under compulsion, these words under compulsion, you feel kind of manipulated sometimes, kind of tricked. Your arm's being twisted and so you feel under compulsion to give. It's another emotional response. God is saying to that, he's saying, don't do that. God is saying, I don't want that kind of gift. Reluctant, compulsive, emotional gifts, I don't want that. When we give out of guilt or because our emotions are compelling us to do so, do so, what we're doing is we're just, we're stretching a little bit, but God's not impressed. He's not impressed. So he says he wants it to be part of a plan. We've been talking about the idea of a plan, but he wants a cheerful giver. You see the word cheerful. The New Testament was written in Greek, and there are some, there are some words to describe cheerfulness. And there are some words that are very much um, emotional words. And there is also some words that describe decision. And this is a decision word. It means this. It means the Greek means readiness of mind to do what is good. Cheerful in the sense of I'm ready. I've planned. I'm ready to do what's good. I put some thought 
there are decisions sometimes we think ahead of time, then when we give it, it's, it's, it has a different response. It's not an emotional thing. We put some thought into it. It's part of our lifestyle, part of our plan. Giving because someone made you feel guilty is kind of like a stretch on your generosity, like a rubber band. You know, you stretch a rubber band, but once the pressure is released, it just returns back to its natural state. And so emotional giving, it just, it's that same way. When the pressure's off, we return back to our natural state. We're not stretched anymore. But emotional giving, you know, this idea that Paul's talking against, he's saying it's an exchange. It's not really a gift because in exchange for the gift, we actually get something out of it when we give emotionally. We get to feel better. Like we give emotionally, we feel a little bit better about ourselves. We feel a little good about ourselves. But at the core of it, it's still about us. And God doesn't want giving to be about us. He wants it to be about something beyond us. So giving that pleases God, it moves from what I feel at the moment, giving what I feel at the moment, to what I have planned to do in advance. It's a plan. It's a part of a plan. It's a decision. The other part of this is not only just thoughtful, but another step along the planning giving is proportional giving. Proportional giving. There was a situation in the early church in Jerusalem where the early church in Jerusalem, that was kind of the... The main, that was where the church was birthed right there. And the church was under severe financial pressure. And resources were scarce. And the need for resources was communicated to other churches along the Mediterranean basin. And so some of the churches along the Mediterranean decided to pull their resources together in order to meet a need in Jerusalem. It'd be like if we heard about a need in San Bernardino and the churches in Riverside heard, man, the churches over there in San Bernardino are really struggling. They're having a really hard time. And all the churches in Riverside decide, hey, let's, let's, let's help. Let's do something. That's kind of a, what's happening in this situation. There's some reasons for, um, there's persecution going on. That had a lot to do with the scarcity. But Paul, when he, to meet this need in Jerusalem, he didn't want it to be part of some emotional deal when he arrived. Because he was headed there, or he was sending a team to pick up a gift, a financial gift to support this offering to help in this other church now look at what he says about the collection for god's people he says do what i told the galatian churches to do in other words this is what i've told the other churches now i'm going to tell you what i've told them on the first day of every week each of one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income saving it up so that when i come no collections will have to be made paul is saying i don't want to roll into town and then begin this huge fundraising campaign he's like there's really more important things for me to do than to just raise money while I'm there. So he, he encourages them to think about what they're going to do ahead of time. He says, you know about the need. Decide ahead of time what you're going to save. Then when I come, it's already been set aside and you can just give it. He's saying it's a proportional. Whenever you shift from becoming an emotional giver to I'm going to give regularly, no matter what my circumstances are, what, whatever my emotions are. Um, at this point, you stepped up to the planning level. This first level. Most people in Bible times got paid daily. Some people, like us, maybe we got paid once a week. Or, but a lot of people got paid regularly, just very often, daily. And Paul's telling them, decide in advance what percentage of what you make you'll give. This prevents the giving from being just an emotional thing and from the emotions driving our giving. So this is a real struggle for us. This might be, in fact, the very step you need to take. Maybe you feel like, I've been giving, but it hasn't been part of a plan. And maybe you feel like, this is the step I, I, I'm going to take today. Like, I'm going to decide. I'm going to become 
a planned giver. We're going to talk about it. If I'm married, I'm going to talk with my spouse about it. We're going to talk about what, what we're going to give to God and how we're going to stay regular on that, what that's going to look like. Level two on this generous, generosity ladder is the threshold level. This is where the squirming might begin, if it hasn't already. Whenever we decide to just get serious about giving and move it from emotional to planned giving, <clears throat> the very next question to ask yourself is, well, how much should we give? Like, what percentage, what proportion to our income? And the answer to that question tends to be emotional. You know, we think about the future, what we're worried about, how much money we have in the bank, what can I afford to do? And once again, it throws us right back into just getting all emotional about it. Well, what do I feel like doing? So what God has done is he's established a non-emotional threshold for everyone no matter their circumstance, he's communicated a very non-emotional threshold. It's called the tithe. You might want to write that word down. It's not in your notes, but the word tithe is T-I-T-H-E. The word in the Bible literally means a tenth. It's a tenth. Giving 10% is actually God's threshold level of giving. This is The reason it's called a threshold is because thresholds are very, very clear. It's very clear. Of course... That's kind of the beauty of things like math, because it's a threshold percentage. Math is very, very clear. Do we have any math people in here? There's probably some of you that just, you really know we have math teachers. And, you know, math teachers, you know, your students, you either, they either get it right or they get it wrong, right? That's the nice thing about math. It's not like, oh, you know, you're wrong. X, it's wrong. You either get it right or get it wrong. And on this area, 10%, it's kind of 10%. God has made the math very clear. It's a very, very clear threshold. Whenever you walked into this building or into this room, what you did is you crossed the threshold. You went from outside to inside. The doorway was a threshold. You stepped through the threshold. Now you're inside. Tithing is this clear threshold. And what most people don't understand is that this threshold for our money is a clear border for more than just our money. When we cross through the threshold with our resources, giving a tenth of what we've earned, more than just money is impacted. That's what the passage in Malachi that we're going to look at communicates. Look at Malachi chapter 3. Walk through this real quick. It says, Will a man rob God? Now this is the last Old Testament book. People were rebuilding their lives and they're re-establishing their priorities. He asked this question, Malachi the prophet, God speaks through him to the people, to God's people, and he says, will a man rob God? Now, any thinking person would say, that's the last person I want to rob. Who wants to rob God here? Nobody's signing up for that. You might consider, I could rob that guy or that guy. You size people up, you know, I might be able to get away with it. I look faster than him. I could beat him up and run, or I could, you know, distract him, and maybe I'd get away with it. But God is the last person we want to rob. And then he says, yet you rob me. He's talking to these people. He's talking to, to them. Yet you rob me, but you ask, how do we rob you? Like, what bank do you go to to rob from God? How, how do you pull that off? And here's what God says, in tithes and offerings. He says to these people, you're not doing the tithe. You're not tithing, he was telling them. Therefore... He says, you are under a curse. Now, that's strong. Now, God has cursed something in their lives. You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. 
bring the whole tithe, the tenth, into the storehouse. The storehouse was a location where the tithe was brought in the temple. It was a location in the temple, a room, in order to resource the work of the temple. And he says this, bring the whole tithe, the whole tenth, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Now, this is God to his people. We have to pay attention to these types of passages. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. We should pay attention to all of what God says, not just these types of passages. But this is from God. But he says, see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Now, draw a line down the center of your outline, something like this. If you have any, any space there on the bottom or maybe on the back, draw a line. Just right down the center, big line. And that line represents the threshold. Think about this. That line represents the threshold. On the left of that line is everything less than 10% of the income God has provided. On the right-hand side is everything more than 10% of the income that God has provided. So if I'm giving you know, a percentage less than 10%, I'm on one side of the threshold. God makes it really clear. If I'm, on, if I'm giving 10% or more than 10%, I'm giving on the right side. If you give more than 10%, some people do that. We talked about that last week. Just extra, giving extra. That's called additional generosity or the word that's used in the Bible is offering. I give an offering. Beyond the tithe is something called an offering. But God spells out for us in quite simple terms what is inside his will for this area. Think about it this way. Say you're a parent. Many of you are parents. And say you were to tell your son. Now, I have a son. I have three kids. Say I had to... Tell my son, Gabriel, he's eight. He's old enough to do this. He actually does this. Gabriel, I want you to take out the trash. I want you to stop playing that video game right now. I want you to take out the trash from the house, all the trash cans. Go dump it in the bin, and I want you to roll those bins out to the curb. He's actually able to do this. My five-year-old's actually able to pull those things now. But So we're able to do this, which is a huge help to me. But Now, if he does it halfway, think about it. What has he done? You know, if he's done it halfway, has he fulfilled my will, my request? No. Now, halfway is truly better than ignoring dad altogether and staying on the couch. There would be consequences. But there's, you know, he's still outside of of my will for what I've communicated. When we decide to ignore God's clear instructions on the tithe, what we're saying is take my life outside of your will in this area. If I've decided I'm serious about following God. Now, you may be at a point where you have not yet made that decision or you've just made it. And the step you are at is just to become a planned giver at that planned level, that first level. But if you've been walking with God for some time and you're serious about him, then to operate outside of his will, it creates consequences. Now, I want to talk this through further. Some of what God has asked in life can get kind of fuzzy. If we're honest, some of the things that the Bible talks about are a little bit fuzzy. Like love, for example. How do you love someone? You know, we're told we're to love, but how do you really love someone whom you're mad at? How do you love someone who's been hurtful, irresponsible, lazy? How do you love someone? How do you love your enemies? Now, there's things that are somewhat fuzzy, but if you, if you look clearly and you study, there's actually, he clarifies, so that the fuzziness kind of goes away. But there are some areas that are a little bit gray, a little bit fuzzy. It can get kind of complicated. But this area of tithing, it's, it's not an unclear area. It's not complicated. He just says, how much money did you earn this month? Did you give 10% of it to God? We're all on one side of the threshold or another. 
God's made this really clear for us. Even though we want to make it fuzzy, he's just, he's kind of drawn a line. Some people will use the argument of that the tithe is the Old Testament standard. And that in Jesus, we're in, we're in the age of grace and forgiveness. And, and he, it wipes out the need to do those things from the Old Testament. We're, no, we're in the age of grace. And I agree that when Jesus came, man, all sorts of things, all sorts of new possibilities opened up. But one thing we need to understand is that Jesus, he didn't eliminate the tithe. In Matthew 23, 23, one of the things he says about the tithe is that you should tithe. He says, Matthew 23, 23, he says, you know, there's some more important things like love and justice and mercy, and you need to do those things. Those are priority. Do not miss those. You still need to do the tithe. You need to do love, justice, mercy, but don't forget about the tithe, he says. He doesn't wipe it out. In fact, what Jesus does with the Old Testament is he kind of jacks the standard up higher. If you read the Bible, you begin to hear him say things like, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Now, that's an Old Testament thing, right? Don't commit adultery. You ever heard that? It's one of the Ten Commandments. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. What he does is he, he jacks the standard up. He says, but I say to you, if you so much as look lustfully at a woman, you've committed adultery in, her, in, in your heart. He raises the bar. He doesn't lower the bar. He jacks the standard up. Another thing is he talks about Murder. He said, you know, you've heard it said, don't murder. Then he jacks it up. But I say to you, do not. He basically, I'm going to summarize. He says, don't allow your anger to spill over to where you just murder someone verbally. Where you slaughter them with your words. You're so angry that you start cursing, cussing at them. And you just, you just pretty much killed that relationship. He, he jacks the standard up. Thankfully for us, Jesus didn't say, you've heard it said. You should tithe. But I say to you, if he had, my guess is it would have jacked the standard to something very even clearer and probably way more challenging than we'd be comfortable with. But no one ever uses that, that statement when, when they say it's an Old Testament thing. No one ever really thinks that, well, then Jesus would probably jack the standard up higher. No one ever uses this to explain why they give more because they're in a new, because Jesus has now come into their life. He doesn't wipe it out. The, the truth of the matter is, God is not just true, but He's real. On the left side of this line, below the threshold, there's an understanding that God is true. He's true. Just like 2 plus 2 equals 4. 2 plus 2 equals 4 is a true statement, but it's not real in the sense that it doesn't impact my life today. Like, that doesn't, how does that really impact my life? Real things, however... Like on the right side of the line, when you're on the right side of this threshold, are facts that we adjust our lives to. They're not only true, but they're real. Like, for example, the numbers 3,000, do the math with me, okay? 3,000 minus 2,000, okay? You tracking so far? Minus 50 minus 25, what do we have? 925. Good. You know, those numbers are true, right? Those are true numbers. But if that represents your checking account balance, those are also real. There's a big difference. 3000 maybe your paycheck. 2000 maybe your mortgage. 50 maybe your water bill and then your $25 gas bill. And now I have $925. Man, that's not only true, but that's real. It bears impact on my life. 
that formula, it kind of changes my behavior. And if, if I ignore this whole area of tithing, what I'm doing, and when, I'm, when the Scripture says, you know, I'm robbing God, and that, why would someone want to rob God? Well, it's because we think we can get away with it. But the truth is, I don't ignore real things. I don't ignore the balance on my checking account because I know that's real. If I ignore it, I pay a real consequence. I overdraft. I get in trouble. You can't ignore reality. What happened to these people in Malachi as they ignored God in tithing is God called down a curse on their lives and on their finances. Not just their finances, but things began to unravel really quickly. Emotionally, health-wise, personally, relationally. That group that Malachi was speaking to discovered God is not only true, but He's real. The God who's created everything, He is real. He works You know, he connects the physical and the spiritual realm. God goes on to say, I'd rather have you discover that I'm real on the positive end of things, which is why he says, test me in this. Cross this threshold and watch what happens. He says, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven in some area of your life. Some area of your life. Doesn't mean crossing the tithing threshold just opens up your bank account to God, you know, flooding in all the money and you're like, woohoo, I hit the big one. He was right. It's, it's really different. But God says, I will throw open the floodgates of heaven. There's some area of our life he begins to pour. He opens up the resources, his favor in intangible ways. And, you know, both in tangible and intangible ways, God works. Few things are as real to us as our money. And tithing is at the point in which God becomes not just true, but he becomes real. That's why so many things happen at this threshold level. I mentioned earlier that oftentimes when people start tithing, other things in their life start progressing in the positive. They start moving. Now, it doesn't mean you don't go through trouble. Gosh, trouble is a part of life. Scripture is clear about that. Where does the tithe go? I'd like to answer the question of where does the tithe go? If you look back one verse, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, right? In the verse, in the previous verse. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Or maybe it's the next verse. The storehouse, again, it's a room in the temple. The temple is gone, though. That was the center of God's work in those days. The temple's gone. Now the center of God's work is the church. So we, we bring the tithe to the church. We give a tithe to the church. This is not just charitable contributions so I can get a tax write-off for the government. We're actually giving to support the work of ministry. I want you to hear this very, very carefully, though, as we've talked about this. Tithing is not the threshold of God's love for us. You giving a tithe in obedience regularly is not the threshold of God's love for you. Any more than obedience is a condition of love for our kids. I love my kids whether or not he takes the trash fully to the curb or not. I do. God granting us forgiveness is not conditioned by our response to him in this area. We don't give money so that we can earn God's forgiveness. What's at stake is just how hard life will be because life unravels like what they describe in malachi our lives parts of our lives begin unravel when we ignore god in this area the last level is this the the third level which means god wants us to not just you know move to a plan level and then up to some sort of a to a threshold of a tithing. He actually wants to stretch us to where we're sacrificing start to get a little dangerous up here and you're concerned is he going to fall Like, this is scary. The truth is, up at this level, when we're at the sacrificial level, 
you're able to accomplish even more. God wants us to continue to trust him so that he's able to work even more areas out in our life. But this level gets scary, just like it's kind of scary up there. You probably remember me referencing this verse last Sunday, 2 Corinthians 8, 7. It says, just see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Paul says, keep topping yourself. How do you do that? You keep growing as gener- in, in generosity. You keep topping yourself. Excelling in giving means moving beyond even the threshold of a tenth of what I make and giving it back to God. I'm going to move beyond that to a more sacrificial level. Real sacrifice. 2 Corinthians 8 says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. This church here is stretching beyond the threshold, out of the most severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. See, you have the idea of the ladder here, the stretching, or the, you know, stepping up. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. You get the sense that this church found joy in giving. They wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to participate. They wanted to sacrifice. They were using their resources to reach out to meet needs in another church. They were sacrificing beyond just themselves. That's what giving does is it pushes us past ourselves like, like almost nothing else will. So I'd encourage you to think about, what does that mean for me? To give it a sacrificial level. Here's four practical suggestions really quickly to begin to think about if you're already someone who gives a tithe. Then you might want to write these down. Number one would be support someone who raises their support in ministry. Here's a picture of one of the ladies that attends our church here. Holly, she's in the middle of that sea. She serves on the campus of UC Riverside, raising her support to do ministry, sharing Jesus and the love of Christ with people in their college years. And she's part of building a ministry there and helping people come to Christ, already seen someone come to Christ and just connecting with people. And she raises her support. Now, as a church, a portion of what we receive, we've committed to, to support her. But many families also give beyond that. Just they give and com- com- committed to, to support Holly. And so maybe that's a, an area you'd like to, to help out in. I could put you in touch with her. She's actually right here in the front. She's probably like, oh, my gosh. But the truth is, you know, there are times there's opportunities to give to at this level of an offering beyond the tithe. And the first part, the first tenth is God's. He said, this is mine. When you bring a tithe back to God, it's not like you're returning a car you borrowed and says, hey, I'm going to give you your car back. It's, it's not yours to give it back. If I let someone borrow my car and they say, hey, I'm giving you your car back. It's, no, you're bringing me back what is already mine. God has a claim on the first tenth of what he's provided He's saying, bring it back. He's saying, bring it to... This area, though, is when we give beyond and we say, I'm going I'm to open my hands to the work that you're doing. Kingdom work stretches us. Another thing that will really stretch us is sponsoring a child in need. It's just a suggestion. It's really think internationally. What are the international needs? Compassion International is a ministry that is trying to wipe out extreme poverty. And I just heard recently that $73 billion over a course of 10 years, would wipe out extreme poverty. $73 billion a year given over 10 years would wipe out extreme poverty. And in the Christian churches in North America alone, there's $2.3 trillion of resources in individuals and families just through income that people make. The, the, the resources are already available in just North America to wipe out Extreme poverty. 
I, I encourage you to maybe write down compassion.com and look into that. But again, this is giving at a sacrificial level. You've given what God has said to give back to him. Now you're really stretching. This is really stretching. The third thing is save a love fund. Some people have a fund that they put a percentage of money in or just some set amount of money to use specifically to meet needs. You can get creative and find ways to bless other, bless other people. Take a look at this video. This kind of captures the idea of how you can use a love fund, just a little savings each month that you're just using to meet needs in people's lives because things come up. So take a look. It's not the greatest quality video. Just bear with the quality. You have a whole lot of talent. Here's some stuff that will help you reach your goals. Rip it up a camp. Mom! 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 Where's Mom? That, that stuff, um, you know, that met specific needs. And, you know, as a kid, my parents, they, beyond their tithe, beyond that threshold level of giving, they had money set aside just to meet needs. And so we, I, I'd get to be a part of participating in something that they were doing with their resources to give sacrificially. And as a child, that really shapes just your understanding of how God provides for the needs of people. And that was, it's shaping, it shaped, and you, and we, you know, as parents, you know, our children can learn the value of giving through the example we set. But again, it's, it's, you don't just, you know, you start, you stretch yourself to that level. You start with what God has already asked. You grow. I got to thank a friend of mine this week, a couple of days ago. While I was in Texas, I said, you know what? His name's Nathan, and he's a professor, Cal Baptist. 
Nathan Lewis, you may know him, but I said, I think it was about 11, 12 years ago, you paid my way in full to go to this conference. And I've been coming two to three times a year to this conference every year. And just thank you, you know. And it was because they, they, they're sacrificing. They're giving to help others grow. They're giving to, to meet needs. And I, to be able to thank him and just to see, wow, this has, those, that first conference I went to altered the direction of my life. I had some conversations from that very first trip that have altered the course of my life. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd be married. And I'm dead serious. I don't know if I'd be in ministry. But the way that they sacrificed, and I've seen them do this with other people. And, but th- it's a privilege to, to be generous at that level. God just accomplishes some tremendous things in our lives as we stretch. The last suggestion I have in this is give to, us, give to our Christmas offering. We've got a Christmas offering planned. Half of it's going to go. Focusing on things in our city and our own health as a church in order to be able to reach out beyond the borders of our church. Second part of our Christmas offering is going to go to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, which is going to be supporting Southern Baptist missionaries who share the hope of Jesus all around the world. Some of them taking the good news of Jesus into some of the darkest and most unreached areas in the world. And so we're going to be a part of that. You'll be hearing about that in the next two months. But all these opportunities are sacrificial offerings. Giving beyond the tithe. The church budget is it's dependent on the regular giving of our church family. God wants us to accomplish so much. He wants to grow us in the area of generosity so we can funnel resources our way to accomplish his work. Paul told us, there's this verse in 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Remember this, he says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. We, he, there's this warning in Scripture. Don't hoard the resources God's provided. Don't hold on to and hoard them. But release things back to God to accomplish his work. One of the things I said earlier is, as you step up the ladder, there, God, he, uh, he's like he opens up doors. Or he, he begins to work in other areas of our life. One of those areas is leadership. For those of you who would say, you know, I want to be a leader spiritually. I want to grow in leadership. Luke 16, 11 says, if you've, been, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? I, I believe that's talking about people. People are true riches. They go on forever. They're eternal. Managing your money is one of the tests that God uses on leaders. If you want to have influence and leadership in people's lives, this the stewardship aspect, you can't ignore it. You've got to do business with God on this area. It's one of those areas. It's, it's not right for us to give leadership to people who've not proven faithful. It's giving privilege to people out of order, in fact. And it's not the only test of leaders, but it's, it's one of them. But God is looking for people through whom he can funnel resources through. And he can't do that if we're like clogged up pipes. He can only do that if we will be faithful to handle things in the way that he's clearly instructed. So in just a moment, we're going to be receiving our offering. If the ushers will come forward, don't get all nervous. Don't get all nervous. We just had a heavy message on giving. Clearly, anxiety is high. Um, I just have a responsibility responsibility to be clear on what the Bible teaches. Throw this guy back. Just take this area to God. What I'd say is take this before God in prayer. Giving a big emotional gift right now, again, it's not what God's after. 
He says, hold on to Make it a part of the plan. So if you're not a part, a point in your life where it's part of a plan, then consider, I need to come up with a plan. I need to be having some conversations or praying about it. Take a look at these next steps. Which one of these steps do you need to take and begin a new pattern in over the next four months? The first one is, I will take the first step on the generosity ladder. That you would move from an emotional giver once in a while to a planned giver thoughtfully, proportionally. Maybe this morning that's the bold step you need to take in obedience. The second one is, I will cross the giving threshold. Cody and Ben, you guys can go ahead and work your way up here. I will cross the giving threshold. Basically, is you, may, you might be at the point where you've decided it's time to begin to get serious about this area to give a full tenth of what I receive in my income. You might also consider automating that so that every month you don't have to have an emotional experience. Am I going to do it? Can I sustain it? Can I... It's emotional every time we do it. So a lot of people automate. A third of our church automates their giving so they don't have to have that emotional roller coaster every month. They just have decided this is part of what I do in obedience. The last next step is I will give beyond the threshold. Maybe you feel like that's something I want to try to do. I've been faithful to give a tithe and I want to give an offering faithfully over the next four months in some area. Maybe it's one of the ones that we mentioned a love fund, or just starting to set aside money for our Christmas offering in December, you might just consider, what, what is it God wants me to do? Let's, let's go to the Lord as we pray. Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you for your word and how, how clear you are about this area. And it's because it's tied to so much of the rest of life. God, I know that as we're challenged, Lord, we have options. And Lord, I know we're going to wrestle with this. And it ain't going to be easy. But God, I pray that we would do wrestle, we would wrestle with, with you on this, Lord. That we would allow you to, that we trust you, God. And that we take steps of courage and obedience all of our lives. Lord, that we'd be a people and a church who's, who's known by generosity. Seeking to meet the needs of others, Lord. And not just be so focused on building what we have here. Lord, but we can't do that if we're outside the threshold of what you said. So, Lord, I pray you'd help us to grow in this area, grow in the grace of giving, Lord. Would you? Would that be true of us, Lord, and that we would do it joyfully, cheerfully, Lord? I pray, Lord, for courage in this area and responsive hearts, God. And so, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to receive our-